to Watershed Investigations podcast, Tales from the Frontline of the Water Crisis. We are back after quite a long break. This is our first episode in 2024 um, because we've been really quite busy making a documentary about PFAS contamination. So PFAS is a forever chemical. We published with The Guardian the first ever map of PFAS contamination spots across Europe with some brilliant journalists at Le Monde and Süddeutsche Zeitung and other European media outlets. Our map shows that PFAS has been found at 17,000 sites across the UK and Europe, and a lot of these are quite high concentrations. Now, that mapping work was done in 2023, so what we've done in the documentary is really hone in to some of those problem sites to find out more about what's happening there. Okay, PFAS, you can't see them, you can't smell them, you can't taste them, but these are chemicals, so-called forever chemicals, because they build up in the natural environment. It's very hard for them to break down, which is why they've been nicknamed forever chemicals. And they build up in our environment, in our bodies, and they have been doing so for decades because they were invented by the US firm DuPont in the 1940s. And they were kind of thought of as a wonder chemical because they're waterproof, grease resilient and heat proof as well. So they were used very famously in the Teflon pans, non-stick pans, and now they're absolutely everywhere and some of them are toxic. PFAS actually is an umbrella term for about 10,000 or 12,000 chemicals and it stands for per and polyfluorinated alkyl substances. Phew, thank god there's a short name for it, PFAS. And it's a carbon fluorine bond which is basically the strongest bond in nature. So, you know, what makes them brilliant, as I said, heat-proof, waterproof, grease-proof, but again that's what actually makes them pretty terrible. And they've been linked to a whole load of, of uh, health issues. It's a massive problem. So the PFAS, as Liana is saying, is that they are absolutely everywhere in the environment because they're in so many products. They're in waterproof clothing and cosmetics and pharmaceuticals or even in pesticides. And so they're constantly building up in the environment because they don't break down because of that carbon fluorine bond. Now, that's all a problem, but it's even more worrying when you consider the health impacts, which are quite diverse. So there are about 12,000 plus of these PFASs, only a couple of them, three or four have been studied in any depth, but the ones that have been studied, say PFOS and PFOA, they have been found to be very toxic. So PFOA, PFOA, that was classified at the end of last year as a type 1 carcinogen. So that's a definite carcinogen to humans. And PFOS, that is a likely or possible carcinogen. The uh, cancers that they've been linked to are sort of kidney and testicular. There have been liver problems, thyroid disease, hypertension, immunotoxicity issues, developmental problems, been linked to uh, fertility issues. And some people have compared PFAS to asbestos. The more they looked, the more they found. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of been made famous. I think most people will know about them if we say about the film Dark Waters starring Mark Ruffalo. So that film was all about PFAS and how this lawyer in America, who we spoke to, Rob Bilot, in a previous podcast, how he, he essentially brought this to public attention and 
really launched this massive epidemiological study in his case against the company DuPont, which proved these links with uh, all these various health issues that you were just talking about, Rachel. But shall we bring in our slightly less famous film to Dark Waters? <laughs> yeah, let's just uh, do watch Dark Waters because it's a great film. But the documentary that was made at the time is also brilliant. What's that yes, called again? Yes, the um, the Devil We Know, the Devil We Know. And actually, I think it's I think the documentary is actually better. Dare I say it is brilliant, brilliant film. But before you watch those, watch ours, Liana. Tell them a bit yeah. about ours. We've just made a film in the UK where we've been looking for hotspots of PFAS contamination, who's polluting, the causes and sources of this pollution is, because there's not much information apart from, you know, the, the work that we did last year on PFAS in the United Kingdom. So let's play the trailer now. This is, I have no doubt, probably the greatest crisis about to befall public health, if not mankind in general. We should all be hugely concerned. This outfall from a chemical plant is steaming, and there's a white buildup all on the, the outflow. We can't say for sure why I got thyroid cancer, but what we do know is that high levels of PFAS, they are hormone disruptors and they are also carcinogenics. PFAS are, are probably the greatest chemical threat facing humankind in, in the 21st century. What you can't see is, you know, you can hear me talking and there's a lot of bubbling and, and talking about steaming chemical runoff and that was filmed when Rachel and I went to the site of one of the very few PFAS manufacturers here in the UK called Asahi Glass Chemicals AGC and they are situated on the banks of the River Wire and one of the times that we went there, it was just absolutely, it, it looked awful. You know, there was all this sort of white gunk everywhere. It was steaming discharge going straight into the river. And at another discharge point, it was also bubbling up out of there. And we took samples there and sent them straight off to the lab and found really high levels of PFOA, which is the proven carcinogen. Now, we found levels of up to 25,000 nanograms per litre, which obviously doesn't sound very much. And AGC actually said this is only a fifth of a can of Coke in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. But, Rachel, do you want to put that into context? I think the, the can of Coke in a, in a swimming pool is not to say misleading, um, but it's all about the toxicity. If you have really high levels, really have concentrations of these PFASs going into any water source it might sound like a small amount but it's if it's going in constantly or even occasionally over a day or a week or a month or what must be years because PFOA has been banned and so has PFOS 
And if it's still going in, then potentially it's been doing that for decades. And so that small amount might still have toxic effects and that small amount will build and build and build and build over the years. So it's been going into this river, which is protected, has all sorts of environmental designations across it because it's, it's special for wildlife or habitats. And all that goes into Morecambe Bay. And we know that PFAS bioaccumulates and biomagnifies up food webs. So birds and fish have been found with, with high levels of PFAS in their bodies. And it, this is a man-made chemical, remember, so it is not found in nature. So if you find it even at low levels, well, it, that's bad because it shouldn't be there at all. Yeah, that idea of biomagnification, if a small creature has PFAS in it and a bigger creature will eat several small creatures and then an even bigger creature will eat even more of them and then, you know, maybe a human will come along and eat uh, quite a lot of fish and then it, it builds up in your body because it doesn't really break down it takes a really long time to break down or takes a very long time to to leave your system another bit of context in the uk we have drinking water standards you know the maximum is 100 nanograms per liter and you're not allowed to drink anything at that or above and we found 250 times that coming out into the river wire of course, no one is drinking effluent or water from the River Wire, but it gives you an idea of how toxic PFOA is, even at low levels. And it just goes through the hydrological system. It will go into the river, go into the sea, go into animals, go into rain and come back uh, on the land. And it's that's how it's spread around the world. And it's been found in rain on the Tibetan Plateau, you know, all these remote areas at levels above US health advisories. There are around 12,000 of these PFASs and we don't know very much about a lot of them. So you know, if we could visualise the amount in the environment now, that would be pretty breathtaking, I imagine. Yeah, if it was plastic, we could see it and it'd be all around. But yes, it's this sort of invisible threat, which is probably why it's quite hard to gain attention around it. AGC, of course, say that they do not use PFOA because they phased it out more than a decade ago when it was banned under the Stockholm Convention. So they say that the PFOA that we found must be historic or background levels. And we should also point out that they're not actually doing anything unlawful, which to me is also quite shocking because there's, there's no regulations against discharging PFAS into the environment. For most discharges, you have to have uh, an environmental permit under the environmental permitting regulations and you have to go to the environment agency for it. And there's lots of conditions within that permit of how much of particular uh, substances that you can discharge into water or air or whatever it might be. But because for some reason PFAS hasn't been on the regulatory agenda, there is no law saying don't, <laughs> don't discharge this type 1 carcinogen into the protected um, river. So there is no law to break. Um, we think that's a little bit crazy. Well, that's one part of our film where we went off to this site of the chemical plant. But as part of the film, we travelled all over the country and we met all these volunteers who gathered samples for us. Uh, so shall we listen to one of the clips of our volunteers? Let's do that. We're just going further up the further forth to Long Gannett Jetty where we're going to be looking for some Pacific oysters, hoping to remove them today and send them off for sampling. And the Longana jetty where we're going is just opposite Grangemouth, which is a very industrial area, has some of the largest 
chemical plants in Europe based there and a lot of industries. That was Claire Cavers from FIDRA, an environmental charity. That was one of my favourite bits, by the way, because I do love a boat, <laughs> a fast boat. I was actually quite worried because yeah. I thought I was going to get seasick and it'd be horrible weather. It was a great day, though, wasn't it? Great day. But people don't need to know about that. What they do need to know is that we took samples of Pacific wild oysters. Uh, we didn't take any native oysters because those are under threat. And we took surface water samples of estuaries around the UK and the effluent that we've been talking about before. Then that went off to Dr Tom Miller at Brunel University, who set up a PFAS standard for us, which is great, and he analysed what we sent him. Whilst we are finding very low concentrations of PFAS in the environment, their impacts are quite a cause for concern. So, for example, the United States Environmental Protection Agency actually just set health advisory limits for PFOS and PFOA at concentrations almost a thousandfold lower than what we've picked up in the environment in this study. And there is mounting opinion at the moment that there is no safe limit to exposure for PFAS. So Tom's results showed PFAS was present in all of the samples that our volunteers took. And they were at relatively low levels, but as Tom says, they were all still much higher than the health advisory standards set by the United States. And we were, of course, sampling in estuaries and large water bodies where the concentrations of PFAS would have been very diluted. And this might lull you into thinking, well, that's all right then, because they won't be as toxic. But this is where the cutting edge research of the hydrologist and pollution expert, Dr. Patrick Burns of Liverpool John Moores University, really puts those relatively low level spot check samples into perspective when he finds that the problem is being underestimated because concentrations don't tell you the amount of PFAS flowing through waterways. So he's calculated on the River Mersey catchment exactly how much PFOS and PFOA has been flowing down there per year. And he's found that PFOS is about 10 kilograms of that flowing down in a year and about 68 kilograms for PFAS. And given its size and comparing that to other rivers of other sizes where the same study has been conducted, the River Mersey is one of the worst in terms of the amount of PFOS flowing through it in the world. Yeah, for PFOA, it's the second worst after the Tokyo Bay Basin, which is obviously huge. And for PFOS, it's the third after Tokyo again and the Cape Fear River Basin in the United States, where there is the Kimors PFAS plant on the Cape Fear River Basin. And, and there's been a legal challenge around that. And also what he found was that a huge proportion of that PFOS coming through the river is actually coming from sewage works. And that's coming from us. It's coming from our, you know, cosmetics and detergents and clothes washing and all this kind of stuff. But it's also coming from industry that has discharged consents to use these wastewater treatment plants. And also some PFASs can be created in the wastewater treatment plants themselves because uh, you get all these materials mixing together and there's treatment processes and some chemicals can be broken down to their constituent parts, which can leave you with, with PFAS as well. So it's a really complicated picture, but wastewater treatment plants are a big source of this pollution. Yeah, another reason, if people didn't need more reasons to be upset about uh, sewage going into our rivers, but it's not actually just raw sewage. It's also in the treated water because a lot of wastewater treatment plants don't have the type of filtration systems that can clean out PFAS. 
you need special filtration to reduce the levels of PFAS. I don't think they've invented a filter to take out every type of PFAS, but it can be brought down a lot. But in our film, you know, United Utilities, which owns a number of wastewater treatment works in the Mersey catchment, said that our treatment processes are not designed to remove PFAS and there's currently no permit standards for PFAS in treated wastewater. Again, weird. They don't have to, to follow any regulations on this, so they're not breaking any, any laws. And what they're calling for is sort of a national plan to reduce domestic and commercial use. So they say they're going to try and look at and understand these sources, but it's going to have to be tackled at source. They are dealing with other people's waste. So it isn't as though you know, the water companies are, are evil and creating this PFAS and just and just dumping it. It's, it's our waste and we need to get a handle on it in terms of the regulation and the treatment. But unfortunately, the treatment, as you're saying, that's going to be really expensive to get every single wastewater treatment plant to be able to remove PFAS is going to cost eye-watering sums of money that I wouldn't even dare try to estimate. Um, so you think maybe tackling this at source is a good idea, but only three PFASs have been banned. There's many others in, in use. I was looking for a non-PFAS non-stick pan. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, because you can get pans which say PFOA free, but that's just PFOA. It's not PFAS, it's probably got some other type of PFAS because, you know, companies will slightly change the compound and it's a different PFAS and there's no regulation against that. So that's the kind of problem. And in the EU, there's a proposal to regulate all 10,000 PFAS as a class. There is already a lot of pushback from industry saying it's really vital because it's in pharmaceuticals, uh, green tech. Shall we play a clip of everything it's in? Go on then, yeah. PFAS was considered a kind of wonder chemical because of its properties. So it's in lots of products that we use in our homes. Plastic bottles, pizza boxes, nail polish, our furniture, cleaning products, carpets, shampoo, frying pans, sticky notes. It's even been found in drinking water. PFAS industry groups say they're vital for lots of sectors. From pharmaceuticals, microchip manufacturing, to green technologies such as batteries for electric vehicles. One thing we haven't talked about, which is a fair you know, question that people might have, is if there's all this PFAS in our rivers and in our wastewater, I mean, it's in drinking water too, isn't it? We've done like quite a lot of work looking at it in drinking water. I mean, 17 out of 18 water companies found it in drinking water sources. And it's also, you know, at some levels in tap water. You found uh, very high levels in Cambridge water, which you, you wrote about. That was, yeah, that was really interesting. So I can't tell you how I found out, but Cambridge water removed one of their sources from the public water supply because it had high levels of PFAS in it. And so we kind of pressed the company to tell me exactly you know what levels it had been at and for how long and and so forth and they were saying no it was never very high we never got to that 100 nanograms per litre limit in their tap water but that doesn't explain why they then removed it um they said they just did it in a, in a precautionary way but since then i mean the water company has been a little bit slippery should we say 
it's supposed to inform the drinking water inspectorate when something like that happens and it only informed the inspectorate on the day that my article came out in the guardian and when the drinking water inspectorate wrote up their report on what happened they made a particular note of that and they didn't inform the customers either until the article came out we know through our sampling and through our research over the last year or so, that there are potential hotspots around the country. And that, I think it was September 2021, the Drinking Water Inspectorate told the water companies, now you have to risk assess for PFAS. If you think there might be a PFAS source in your catchment, then you need to start testing. We got those test results for some of those waters and some, some are quite high and some less so. But this is the source water, not actually what comes out in the tap, because they can treat it, obviously, and they can they can blend it. Blend it is mixing it with yes, clean water. Yes, mixing with clean water, exactly. Yeah, the Drinking Water Inspectorate did get all these water companies to start testing for PFAS. And as I said, 17 out of 18 of England's water companies found 11,853 samples tested positive for PFAS. PFOS, the possible carcinogen, was found in the uh, raw source water up to 18 times the acceptable limit. And PFOA, the carcinogen, was detected up to one and a half times the acceptable limit. So it is in drinking water sources. And yeah, there's definitely a lot more to investigate, which we will be doing. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a lot more on this to come. And as I said, if you want to look at any of the stuff that we've been talking about, if you just Google our names, Liana Hosier and Rachel Savage, and most of our stuff has been on The Guardian on PFAS, um, you will find it all there. And we need to say as well, the film that we've called Toxic, Britain's Forever Polluted Rivers and Seas, uh, which is a collaboration with The Ends Report, the environmental policy magazine that's going to be available to view it's going to be released on the 19th of february and you can watch it free of charge at endsreport.com that's e-n-d-s report.com forward slash toxic and you can go on there and see the film for yourself and i just want to end i think on a clip of fergal sharkey river campaign friend of the show and friend of the show on, on on our board and um i think he just sums it up he has a talent for that brilliantly yes i'm gonna end on a on a clip of, of him we have substances that are known they have impacts on the immune system on thyroid function cause liver disease kidney disease that hits reproduction systems causes birth deformities causes cancer and we're not concerned about that? They say, as I have no doubt, probably the greatest crisis about to befall public health, if not mankind in general. We should all be hugely concerned.